0: Welcome back to another episode of Sweet Script Stories. I'm Eric Rubaugh.
1: And I'm Tim Dietrich.
0: And today, Tim came across an article called the Ten Laws of Software That Everyone Likes to Forget. I think that's what it's called. And yeah. we sort of dug through that and picked out one that we wanted to talk about today. And that is Eagleson's Law, which says that any code of your own that you haven't looked at for six six or more months might as well have been written by someone else. I'm not sure where the name Eagleson comes from. There was no citation in the article, but Tim, why did you latch on to this one?
1: <laughs> well, by the way, so yeah, as a side note there, um, I looked at like who Eagleson is and apparently there's some like nobody's really apparently absolutely sure uh, from what I can tell as to like who that person is or why it's really called that or whatever but maybe somebody out there knows but the other sort of note is that that quote is then often followed with um, six months is rather optimistic so (laughs) definitely um, yes you know we've joked before and I've said you know Ask asked me about code I wrote last week, or even if it's after lunch, ask me about code that I wrote before lunch. And I might have that same effect. It might have the same effect on me. that I'm like, what was I thinking? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so the reason that I chose that particular law out of the 10 that are listed in that article. And there's actually 11. To... Is it in the article that I sent? Yeah,
0: cause he makes oh, a, no. a really funny joke with an off by one error comment.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that figures. Um, <laughs> so anyway, the reason I chose that one in particular is that it does kind of resonate with me. Um, I I re- really do often feel that way when I'm looking at code that I've written in the past. And by the past, again, it could be you know yesterday, it could have been last week, uh, six months ago. But um, but I find that I feel that way in particular when it comes to the sweet script uh, code that I write and that's, I, I think it's because, you know, I'm still, and I think a lot of us are, you know, we're, we're always learning, um, uh, about something new with sweet you know, some something new about the language or one of the modules or what have you. And then, you know, I'm also, um, always learning more and more about different ways of different coding techniques, if you will, with JavaScript in particular, um, and so when I look back at my code, you know, I really do like kind of scratch my head and think, well, what was I thinking? Um, and so another part of this is that when I find myself in that situation, it's very tempting to want to, you know, rewrite it, refactor it, <laughs> you know, uh, essentially. Throw it out and start over. Yeah, right. With based on what I know today or some new technique that I'm using that I've found that i prefer over the way I used to do it. So, so that was why I chose that one in particular.
0: I think, so when I read this, uh, when I read just the article, I call an article, it's not a very helpful article. I think it's more, it's more just a list. (laughs) There's no advice in there for how to fix any of these. It's just, here's a list of 11 problems in the software industry. (laughs) Have fun. Um, but, When I read this, sort of the, the words of this law, quote unquote, I think it's, it's about, uh, not understanding what you wrote, you know, some, some while ago or like having, having trouble, uh, getting back into the mindset of, of that particular problem space. I think there's an important distinction between like going back to code you've written And the, what was I doing reaction in terms of like, oh, I just didn't, I didn't know that I could do this, do it this way instead versus like, what, what is this doing? What problem is this solving? So there's an important distinction between like, this is like suboptimal code versus I can't understand what this is doing.
1: Yeah, I think you you're definitely onto something there. Because sometimes I think the code is fine, right? And it, it, maybe it's it, it's running fine, it's bug free, um, hopefully. But what isn't always clear is the why. Like, why did you write this? Why does this mm-hmm. like we'll use sweet script, or Why you know why does the script exist at all? What was the you know the business requirement or the need for it? Um, and then, of course, you know the deeper you get into that, like, you know, what what business rules uh, drove, you know, the, the maybe what it does or why you approached it in a certain way. Um, and so, you know, in some cases, uh, why something was designed in a certain way is is not always clear just by looking at the code, too. You know, so a a good example too is. Like when it does come to the code, there are times where I look at something and it, you know, I kind of scratch my head, like, why did I do it that way on a technical level? And maybe it's some workaround, you know, some odd thing about maybe the data that's coming in, or you know, that this code is working on. Maybe there's a bug and, you know, some gotcha with SweetScript in particular. Um, yeah, right. So, so it's a combination, I think, of like, yeah, why is the code the way? it is and why does it even exist in the first place and that's not always apparent and so you know like sometimes comments can help um you know whether they're inline comments header comments even commit comments i suppose um but they don't always help right it's like because they don't necessarily capture the i guess the intent of the code itself
0: nor do they automatically update so if you write them once and then never update them as you evolve the system which is very common you can no longer trust them which is true of literally any form of documentation not just comments right you cannot fire and forget your documentation as a system evolves
1: so in researching the eagleson um the the law. I had stumbled on a comment on a it's a, a on a Reddit thread in the programmer humor subreddit. We'll link to it. But the, one of the commenters essentially said, I, I'll, "I'll quote. I'll read the quote here. I have a rule that anytime I have to walk through my own code to remember how it works, I must add comments as I go. This guarantees that I will never have to do this a third time. But again, like I think commenting code, it. That's not always a good fix. And to your point, now it's, if the if the comments and the code are out of sync, which is, it's easy to do, then that creates a mess as well.
0: Yeah, it's almost worse than no comments then.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting to me about that, and you and I have had conversations both in previous episodes and then offline about like the way I write code, I'm have been for a very long time, a comment, like "nut," you know, when I sit down to write code, I essentially write meta code first, just comments. And Mm -hmm. then I actually code it out. It's as if I'm outlining something and then I am really filling it all out with the details. Right. But I, you know, I've been reading, um, clean code. I've made another, uh, pass through that or started to, um, several weeks ago. And I started to kind of uh, understand uh, again, probably for the hundredth time, like why leaving those comments in is not always the right thing to do. Like your code should be as much as possible self-documenting, right? The way we name things and, you know, there's just everything about it. You should be able to read the code and to, uh, to some extent large extent hopefully makes sense of not only what it's doing like you know but why mm-hmm. and so i've started to not like i'll still go through and write comments first then i write my code and i'm starting now to strip the comments out when i'm done which you know like that's a it's a tough thing for me to do because i've always <laughs> just left them behind so i'm changing the way i write code so what's interesting i think about all this is when you think about this eagleson's law and that you know, at first blush, it might seem well. Just comment your code; that'll solve this problem. So, not necessarily. And here I am stripping all my comments out. So, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm uh, my head's going to explode. But.
0: <laughs> you get an eye twitch whenever you delete a comment.
1: <laughs> yeah, then I, I delete it and undo it. And <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, so I think one one thing I want to want to jump into here is like i don't think so i definitely agree with a lot of things you said comments certainly are not bulletproof naming things is very important if you're still uh following like old school c standards and not putting vowels in your variable names and stuff like that uh you're doing it wrong to be very direct and opinionated there but I think you just mentioned the why. I, I'm not convinced that the why, especially at the business layer, sort of the strategic layer of say, why does this script exist? You know, why did we choose uh, MapReduce versus a user event or or both? That sort of, I'm not convinced that sort of documentation goes in the code because there's much more. Uh, the business owners have much more stake in that and probably have uh, knowledge that that can be captured in that documentation. So the, the higher level, not like the technical architecture and certainly not technical detail, but that higher level business logic of the overall process, what's going on and why it's that way, I don't think that can live in the code. I think it has to be out somewhere where actual stakeholders can see it for one understand it for two and update it for three
1: yeah i agree with you 100 there you know sometimes having access to like if you're looking at legacy code whether you wrote it or not having mm-hmm. access to the requirements document assuming there was one or even like the developer's notes can be invaluable you know again it goes to the not the the how does this thing work, but why is it even there to begin with?
0: So. Yeah, but it does, no matter the whether it's comments or, or that level of documentation, it still does suffer from that same sort of getting out of sync problem. So there's this really fine balance you need to strike between being like hyper-specific and capturing every single detail versus just capturing that high-level strategy that won't shift too much as the system evolves and changes and gets fixed, right? Those nitty gritty technical details are going to shift a lot the longer that system is in play, but those high level strategic processes probably aren't going to.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think with sweet script in particular, it's there's a very good chance that a script that you write today might still be in use, you know, a year or two, three years from now, you know, and it will very likely have evolved you know as the business uh, rules change or the business needs change. And so yeah, I, it's it's another opportunity for the documentation to get out of sync with with the script that you know or scripts or, or what have you um, that was written in support of that of that project. So I don't know what the solution to that is, but I do think. And I'd be curious to see what, um, you know, some NetSuite admins out there are doing to document their accounts. Um, you know, like it's one thing to poke around in, a, in an account and see the scripts and, you know, kind of dive into it, try to make sense of what they're doing, but mm-hmm. um, having access or ha- knowing that someone has access to the, uh, you know, again, whether it's requirements documents or what have you, um, that, Sort of drove those scripts would, I think, be very helpful. And I'm just I'm wondering how people handle that that are out there. You know, I one of the ways I try to do it is in header comments. I still put you know like here's what this thing was intended for, even if it's just a real high level summary. Yeah. Um, So at least you have that. But that, I don't know. Again, it's it's a tough thing, right? It's like where. Should these things live? How do we keep them in sync? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, when you're under the gun, you're under pressure, like in terms of time. You know, it's hurry up and get this done. It's I think it's really easy for the things to kind of get out of sync. Oh, know, of course it is. That's the easiest mind. time
0: for it to get out of sync.
1: Yeah, right. You're just in there, just going and tweak this, make this small change, <laughs> and yeah. So, so it's an interesting. It's an interesting problem. Um, and again, I think you know now you can see why that particular one resonated with me. Uh, I mm-hmm. write a lot of code, work on a lot of different systems. It's not always NetSuite, and I run into this everywhere. It's not just a SweetScript specific problem, obviously. Sure. Um, you know, it it gets particularly difficult in certain. It's I should say, I think with some languages and some systems, the problem is more prevalent. It's easier to fall into. Good example is when I'm doing um database design and development. You know, like it there's there's less likely a good place to comment what I'm doing there. Oh, sure. With some database systems, you can put in like a comment as to, you know, like on the table level or field level to say, hey, here's what this thing is. And you know. We've talked before about potentially doing an episode where naming things is hard, you know, and why it's so hard. There's a great example right there, right? You would think if you named a table or a column the right way, I put air quotes around the right way, because we all probably have different opinions on what that means. Definitely. Then it should be very clear as to like what that column or table or whatever, um, like what it is and why it's there. Uh, but again, it's easy for that to get out of sync. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's I think it's probably a problem that a lot of us deal with. I'm curious to see what people out, especially in the sweet script world, you know what they think of it and how they handle it, or is it just one of those things where we just live with it?
0: Yeah, I naming things is hard. And so is documenting things. I yeah. uh, I think, Obviously not in terms of the functionality, but from the perspective of coming back to code or inheriting code, it doesn't matter when you're coming back to code with a set of fresh eyes, comments are, are part of the code again, not a functionality, but, but they are part of the, the cognitive load of maintaining that code base. So, as you're coming back to new code or coming back to old code, rather, reading the comments has just as much sort of cognitive load as trying to parse the code does. And so, that's when you talk about like, you know, you basically have almost a comment on every line of here's what this line does, here's what that line does, you know, from your pseudo code that you write. That is, you're, you're almost doubling the cognitive load of that code, that code base. And so there, again, uh, with documentation specifically, uh, there's a lot to balance there. And I definitely agree that naming is important. The, the more you name your variables, your functions, your modules easier it is to understand and the less you need those min- those minutiae comments. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not even going to, uh, I was trying to, going to try to think of an example, but I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. I. So naming things is a big part of this self-documenting code you mentioned. I tend to document headers. So I will very thoroughly document the header of a module and the header of a function, and so I sort of docu- basically document the boundaries of the system, and then inside a function, you know, some very detailed, technically specific thing. If there's like, like you mentioned, a bug, or some just weird behavior that NetSuite has, or, or just some, you know, complicated logic doesn't really come out the cleanest in code. Those are the types of things I'll document, but I'm absolutely not going to have comments like assign the value five to X, which I right. do see stuff like that all the time. Like I know what a variable declaration does. You do not have to reiterate that in a comment. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So documentation is definitely one defense against this, uh, this, this, sort of cognitive load but it's very difficult it's another difficult skill and there's a lot of fine lines of where you draw boundaries and what you document and how much you document and all that stuff what are some other defenses or tactics and what's some other advice you have I'd like to be more helpful than the article that inspired this conversation
1: (laughs) you know I don't really have uh, anything more than I think you, I I am trying to use comments much more, um, you know, judiciously and I'm being very deliberate about the way that I'm writing code. You know, I, I still write it the way that I have always written it. I'm still, again, sort of outlining whatever I'm about to write in comments and then I write the code. And I, it does feel awkward for me to go back and blow those comments away. But what I'm doing as I'm in the, in the process of removing the comments is looking at the code and really, it's almost like doing a code review in a way where I'm looking at the comment that was there, looking at the code, and I'm not only making sure the code is doing what I intended it to do, but that in reading the code itself, that it really does make the comment unnecessary. So I'm striving to make my code more self-documenting. And that's been, it's been an interesting sort of change in strategy for me, like in terms of how I'm writing, writing my code. Um, but I like the fact that when I'm done, it's more concise. It is much more, again, I'll keep using the word self-documenting you know, I can give that code to someone and I, I feel pretty certain that they're gonna understand it, right? Again, they might not, still might not understand the why, um, but at least in terms of the code itself, it's pretty straightforward, so.
0: Can I put you on the spot? Sure. Do you have, can you think of an example of, obviously it's hard to express in voice instead of code, but can you think of an example of something you've done that made your code more self-documenting.
1: Um, I wrote so much code yesterday that I'm sure <laughs> I wish I had thought of this prior to recording. But, um, no, no, I don't have anything in particular. Uh, okay. But I just I did find myself doing exactly what I described. You know, like I I looked at the comments, I wrote the code. I've made another pass through it and made sure that everything was doing what I expected it to do and then took the comments out. And, um, yeah, I, I, don't know. No, I don't, I don't have a really good example. I wish I did. Okay. I could go, I could try to pull some code up while we're talking.
0: <laughs> That's okay. Let me ask it a different way, a more general way. What, what is it that makes code more self-documenting or that makes it self-documenting?
1: Well, go back to the naming. Obviously, I think using mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we are going to at some point have to bite the bullet and have a naming things is hard episode. Certainly <laughs> so is. Uh, which is funny that that's what we've been calling it. Um, but I do think that is a big part of it. I think for me, it's also how the code is formatted. And you know, you and I've joked about that before: Do you use tabs or spaces. But <laughs> You know, it's all the white space around the code and how the code is visually presented that can for me that can really help yeah um, actually
0: that's not something i had thought about like preparing for this topic but yes i 100 agree
1: yeah and it doesn't even really it's not so much important that we agree on how to visually present it again the whole you know do you use four spaces or do you use a tab or what have you um, right just that whoever's writing the code hopefully is consistent yes Uh, there's that um and then i think also the modularity of the code you know breaking things down into whether it's you know functions for certain things that where it makes sense or just you know whatever and so yeah i think uh it's just things like that that i think can really help you know help some help both me as the person who wrote the code to kind of look back at it and see if it makes sense. Is it is it something that, again, is sort of self-documenting and also relatively easy to read, but then also hopefully the next person that needs to look at that code, if it's not me, you know, hopefully they appreciate the effort that went into it. Um, mm-hmm. One of the, like an interesting aside with regards to the comments, I've one of the things, one of the, The reasons I think I started to leave comments behind and be even more verbose than I used to. Uh, I think that started when I, uh, years back, when I was writing, um, I wrote a book on FileMaker. And um, I remember, like, you know, dealing with trying to explain everything, you know, to like as if the reader was starting off with no background in in that particular case in FileMaker and then with a lot of the things that I write about on my blog you know like a technical article where I'm trying to explain something it's the same thing right like I'm trying to explain something to someone I can't assume anything about who the reader is and I think I use that same approach when I'm writing code you know I leave comments behind with the assumption that the person coming in behind me like say it's SweetScript. You know, maybe they're new to SweetScript and they're reading the code for the first time, where they're scanning it, they're trying to like find some snippet of code to help them with something in particular that they're running into. Um, so I, I think that's one of the reasons that I have I started to be more verbose about the comments and why I've traditionally left them in. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that a lot of the code that I write that's you know in production doesn't need that level of, of comments. I, it's not like somebody coming behind me is going to be uh, you know, so sort of green that they're not going to be able to understand it. So, so yeah, I mean, my whole strategy has really changed quite a bit. And I say that it's been over the past few months that I've started to kind of think differently about everything we're talking about.
0: I want to jump back to something you said before before that, because I think it's very important and it's maybe maybe the most important to me at least is the the modularity of the code. Mm-hmm. And I think that is another big part of let's see I think the reason that coming back to code is difficult or it's uh directly proportional to the cognitive load again of the system and the cognitive load increases as sort of the scope maybe of any particular piece of the architecture uh, increases as well so (laughs) i want that in much uh better terms i guess if you have uh, some system or you have a user event on the invoice always heavily customized um, or the sales order doesn't matter if if you just dump all of the logic if it's doing 10 different things and all of the logic is extremely procedurally written and it's all right there in the entry point that system has a massive cognitive load because you have to understand everything that's going on in that entry point in order to narrow down, say, where the problem is or where the code that you need to update is or add to or whatever it is. And so if you just have this one monolithic function and the whole system is contained in this one piece, that system has a massive cognitive load because you have to understand the whole thing. And that might not be true. If if you're going into the invoice system and the only thing you need to change is like, how the template gets rendered. It needs some additional piece of data, like custom data or something like that. You don't need to understand the special rules for pre-populating certain fields for certain customers or something like that. And so by breaking our problems down into small pieces, smaller modules, smaller functions, etc., cetera, uh, one... We give the that lets us give those pieces a name. Our functions need names. Our modules get imported, and we give them a name, and so they have this nice, convenient, hopefully readable label that clearly identifies what they are and what they do. And, I, and so that's why modularity helps uh, reduce the cognitive load, and that's incredibly important um i think a lot of times we we modularize first as a way or we only look to modularize when something is repeated right we only look to write a function when we are uh repeating some functionality and we take that dry principle too far and we say oh there's some repeated code here obviously that needs a function or that needs its own module we don't often look at modularity as a way to improve the readability. And I actually think that's the main benefit of modularity.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And going back to the question you asked me before about an example, like what you just described is exactly what I found myself doing yesterday when I was writing all that code. You know, it's essentially breaking things out into um, whether you want to call them functions or whatever that normally you would think, okay, well, I'm only going to create this as a function if it's going to be called multiple times, but no, not necessarily. You know, I think if breaking it out into a function is going to make the code easier to understand and maintain, then by all means do it. Even if you're only calling that function one time or including that thing one time, Yeah. so. And what's nice about that is if if maybe it's not your code that you wrote, but as you're kind of going through and trying to make sense of something, you can make a first pass at something and you know see a call to a function. And I think at first safely assume that the function is doing its job, right? And then as if you're trying to say debug something when you are going through the code, you know, at some point you can start to point at certain things and be like, okay, well, it is breaking down here. And this is the function that's handling that. It's just it's easier to kind of get to like to locate the source of the problem or the source of the mm-hmm. code that needs to be changed. Maybe it's not a bug, but it's just you know a change in the requirements. So yeah, I totally agree with you. I think there's a there's this sort of um, you know incorrect belief that we only should make things modular if it's something that's going to be called multiple times. You know whether it's in the same um, you know, process or some other external process is calling into this thing. But that is not always the case. Right.
0: I write functions all the time strictly for the reason to give some block of logic a name. Yep. And I might, yeah, I might only call that function once. And I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Because it's much easier to understand, like you know, a function that says print invoice PDF that res- that takes in a, an invoice record object versus like the 25 lines of code it takes to render the invoice PDF.
1: Yeah, because if you're looking at that script and that's not the part of it that you need to care about, as you're coming across it and you see a call to that function, it's like, okay, it's doing that. And then, okay, you're a little bit further down through the script and you know, continue on until you find what you need. Right. And you didn't have to take the time to try to like go through all the steps of the, you know, generate the PDF or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Unless that's the thing that you're trying to deal with, in which case you're going to find a call to that function and be like, Oh, look, how cool. I can just go right there and make the change.
0: <laughs> yep. And you so, can forget about everything else that surrounds that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so I think that, Probably my primary defense against this this sort of cognitive load problem, this maintenance problem, is is modularity. Is making very small, focused modules, functions, whatever it is. That's the S in Solid. If you're into your object-oriented design principles, uh, you know, single-purpose pieces of of a system and and building up this system that is composed of all these smaller pieces, even if those small pieces are only used one time, that's fine because it lets me make very short, concise, dumb entry points. (laughs) They don't have to make a lot of decisions. They only need to delegate to these smaller, more focused pieces. And that's a huge part of, you know, what we're talking about here is maintenance, right? So when you come back to say a user event that's doing 10 different things, if those 10 different things are simply 10 different function calls to separate modules, it's very easy to know, to sort of trace where you need to go and discard stuff very quickly that you don't need to know for for whatever it is you're doing.
1: I agree. I think of all the potential solutions to this problem that we discussed, I, I think the modularity is probably Uh, You know, the one that's the most powerful, most effective. Um, So to kind of sum it up, there's that. Um, There's how you name things, which I think those two things are very similar, by the way. Yeah, they're very,
0: um, one enables
1: the other. Yeah, right. Because it could also make functions that have crazy names and it's like almost defeated the purpose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, so there's that. Um, and then, like I th- I'd also mentioned, just visually how the code is presented—you know, how, just with whether it's tabbed, indented, whatever—you know, that sort of thing, which kind of also goes hand in hand with the functions. You know, like if if you can just in a single line make a function call and then the function somewhere else, wherever it is, then in theory, looking at that code, is going to be easier to read. Right. And, uh, so yeah. So it's interesting, an interesting problem. And I know I, what we're talking about too, like, you know, you and I talk a lot offline, you know, when we're not recording these episodes. And then I think, you know, I, I love to write code. And this is, I think, one of those problems that makes the joy, makes writing code such a joy for me, because it's an interesting challenge. You know, how can I improve my code? How can I write good code? And uh,
0: Yeah. How can I communicate better through my
1: code? Exactly. Whether it's with your future self or some other developer who hopefully won't be cursing you in the future, (laughs) maybe singing your praises instead, thanking you for how you wrote your code.
0: That's the hope anyway i don't know how often that happens but
1: i know we don't often see it i mean when's the last time you read some code and you're like that you didn't write or maybe you did and you're like yeah this is actually really nice
0: (laughs) yeah not often enough probably yeah cool yeah i don't know that i have much more to say on this one i think it's I always think about it in terms of that cognitive load, right when I'm when I'm writing code or when I'm reviewing code or inheriting code, whatever it is. I'm always I just tack that cognitive load label onto it and I think something it's very fuzzy. I don't have like numbers or you know very objective things. It's very much a feeling about something, right? Uh, if it has a high cognitive load, it's a big, Red flag, it's a candidate for refactoring, for rewriting. There's there's something I've done wrong and I'm not communicating the idea, the solution well. And so the primary defenses I think against that are those are modularity, very small, very focused pieces that are well-named and well-documented at their, at their boundaries. Well, anything else? To, do you have anything else to say about it?
1: No, I think we've pretty much covered it. It's again, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting challenge that we run into as you know, Sweet Script developers, but also just in general as developers, any kind of programmers mm-hmm. uh, probably be dealing with this. If they're not, man, I'd love to meet them, talk to them, see their code in particular, um, teach us. Yeah. Right, yeah, show us, show us the way. Uh, but no, I think that's that's pretty good. And there, you know, there were other laws in that uh, that were listed in that ten software engineering laws that everybody loves to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've actually made a note for us to kind of come back to that at some point and maybe take some other um, of those software engineering laws and have similar discussions about them.
0: Yeah, I suppose I can't be too down on the article or
1: the list because
0: it does have the potential for a lot of conversations for us, but it's really not helpful. It's sort of just no. a snarky, twittery
1: reaction to the list. What I liked about it was that as I read through it, I'm, I could kind of check the boxes as I was going along. It's like, yeah, I run into that. Yeah, I run into that. I don't think the point of the article was to suggest or give you any uh, guidance with regards yeah. to how you deal with the problem. It's definitely it, not it, an advice article. It's a no, list. but it's it's one of those things where it's good to put like a, a name on it or see how somebody else describes the issue that you know that maybe you've also been dealing with or have come across in the past. So there was that. Um, and it's if there was any real benefit from it, it's just the fact that um, you know you're not alone, right? You're not the only one that's been dealing <laughs> with that kind of an issue, uh-huh. and there's sometimes that's good, right? Misery loves company, <laughs> um, and Miseration it was is nice. You, you know, it was good for us to talk about I think about this particular issue, and right. I you'll have to go back through the list again. I'm sure that there are others in there. I know for a fact that there were others where it was like, yeah, I'm into that too. And when I first sent you the link to that, I think your first comment back to me was, uh, you know, we could probably have an episode for each one of these. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting issues. So. so we'll come back around to it at some point. Yeah, and of course,
0: we'll link to that. A few other things we've talked about in the show notes. Is it time to, to wrap up and point out cool things?
1: yeah, I was gonna mention I'll link to that comment, that thread on uh, Reddit's uh, programmer humor, uh, the subreddit. It was interesting because I'm not normally a reddit kind of person, but I poked around on that programmer humor um, subreddit. and <laughs> yeah, I found myself laughing and <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll link to that. if you if you've never seen that or haven't seen that subreddit in a while, it might give you some might be hours of entertainment who knows (laughs) so but yeah let's wrap things up with a cool thing do you want to go first sure i can go first i don't know
0: how cool this is and it's also not a thing i am still i've mentioned this book several times now i'm still reading the art of gathering and it's very good the cool thing, quote unquote, is the reason it's taken me so long to read it is that I'm changing the way that I'm reading nonfiction these days, especially stuff that I'm reading for to get actionable uh, advice out of, or, you know, something I'm hoping to take action on and apply in the very near future, usually in my business. And so I don't, I should have looked this up. I don't remember where I saw this advice. And I know I've seen it multiple times throughout my life, but the way I'm going about reading it is that I, I'm not I'm not one to like read with a highlighter or to write stuff in the margins or anything like that. I don't I don't really do that. But what I am doing now is I am sitting down and I'm reading a chapter and I read it all the way through. And then I get my notebook out. And I reread that chapter and I go sort of almost line by line, usually paragraph by paragraph. And I try to pull out sort of, you know, the point of why did the author write this? What am I supposed to get out of this paragraph or this section or this sentence, whatever it might be. Um, and so that's why it's taking me so much longer to read, but like, I have so much more sort of actionable ideas out of the book than i do you know coming out of just reading it straight through and now i can review it without having to like dig through all the i don't want to say unnecessary stuff but sort of all the color commentary right the stories and the examples that that are in the book you know all the reasoning behind and the research that went into certain things I only need that stuff once for context, right? I don't need that afterwards when I have decided when and how to apply the thing. And so it's just been a lot different. I feel a lot better about sort of why I'm reading it and the change that it's making in the effect that it's having reading it is much more evident by doing this. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. So you're sort of summarizing the book as you go and I think even just the process of doing that probably makes you look at it a little bit differently and also it probably sticks a little bit more
0: yeah it makes it a lot more stickier and it also lets me um disagree a little bit without getting frustrated I guess it's easy to if you're sort of just reading and you keep reading and you're sort of it's not connecting with you it's easy to sort of put the just put the book down and never read it again (laughs) but by sort of doing this more uh just in time review of the book it sort of gives me more reason to to keep going um i say that i i haven't disagreed with anything in this book yet it's very good it's very well written And we all need more stuff in our life that we disagree with, by the way. That's where I was initially going with that comment.
1: (laughs) All right. Uh, Your turn. So, yeah, so the the cool thing that I kind of stumbled on this week. I think this was posted to Hacker News. It's a site called free-4.dev. It's a, an admittedly bizarro domain name. Um, and it's it is it, it essentially a list of services that provide free tiers to developers. So it's everything from like, you know, cloud hosting providers, APIs, content management systems, and so on. It's a pretty interesting and long list. Um, And it's one of those things where I pulled it up, I looked at it, thought, oh, you know, this is really cool. And then I immediately closed the browser tab because I realized if I started to explore them in any great depth, I would, my productivity would go, (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't the right time for me to really dig into it. But man, there's a lot of resources listed uh, there, and um, so I think it, it has the potential to help, uh, you know, developers out who also have to deal with those or, or uh, interact with those types of services. It's, you know, interesting that so many of them now do provide free tiers. So, um, so anyway, I will link to that in the show notes as well you might find something helpful in there and i'm definitely going to go back to it at some point when i have hours of free time and explore all those links (laughs) or some of them so yes
0: when that regularly happens for you yeah all the time 2027 look out for tim's (laughs) recommendation
1: yeah, it's been a week of code for me, and it's we're recording this on a thursday and and this week seems three weeks long. <laughs> so, but take a break what I do. yeah, well, I have been I've been trying to be good to myself with that, so but I knew that that site, when I stumbled upon it, was like, no, this isn't the right time for that. But I did want to make sure that I shared it with everybody because I think it has, again, a lot of great resources. so check it out all right does that wrap it up for us i think it does all right good all right
0: well come back next time for another sweet script story